0: the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash
3: The Bill Press Show.
2: Donald Trump caves. Donald Trump caves. Yes, I said it. Donald Trump caves to Nancy Pelosi. He will not give a State of the Union on January 29. He's accepted the fact that Nancy Pelosi is in charge when it comes to the House of Representatives. What do you say? Hello, everybody. So how soon will Donald Trump cave on the wall? That's next. It is the Bill Press Show here on Thursday, Thursday, January 24. So good to see you today. And it's good to have you with us. We really appreciate uh, your joining us to uh tackle the big stories of the day and there are a lot of them coast to coast we got it covered here in Washington DC we got got it covered around the globe uh, we've got it covered even down in Venus Venezuela where who knows what's going on but the president of the United States yesterday said there's a new president of Venezuela I just declared it and I recognize him as the new leader of Venezuela which of course came as a surprise and maybe some big news to the people of Venezuela who had elected somebody else. Uh, so we, we'll try to sort it all out here today with your help, because best part of the show is to hear from you on Twitter what you think about the news of the day, particularly the stunning news of Donald Trump caving into Nancy Pelosi on the State of the Union, the number one story of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We love hearing from you on Twitter, at BP Show. And we'll tell you what else is going on.
4: But first,
0: this is the Full Court press. What do you got, Peter? All
4: righty. Just a couple of other stories making news. Gizmodo.com. Gizmodo.com. Everybody should go check out Gizmodo.com. because th- app to download? They have a, Well, just go to the website. Just oh, go to okay. the website because they have reporters there. They talk about tech and, uh, and things of that oh, nature. But okay. they have a story that shows that there have been three different photos that the White House and Donald Trump has shared have shared on social media since October of 2018 that have been photoshopped and manipulated to make him look thinner, to make him look taller. No. And uh, impossibly, to make his hands look bigger and his fingers look longer. Now, this has been a knock on Trump for a long time. He's got tiny hands, and he's very sensitive about it. So there were some photos taken of him, and they have been retouched. They have been uh, cropped, and the lighting has been changed, and just flat-out photoshopped to where his hands look bigger, his face looks slimmer, his hair looks better. It's amazing. You've got to go to gizmodo.com and look at the photos.
2: Wow. It's
4: crazy. But they've actually been doing this, and Gizmodo has identified three different photos uh, where this has absolutely happened. So, but, of
2: course, you know, if he, like, walking out to Marine One, if the cameras are there, TV cameras are there, they're just going to put him, you know, show him as he is, right? Right. But These are official White House photos that they're, they're, they're taking, doctoring.
4: Yeah, they're taking those photos and, and touching them up and, and then, then putting releasing. them back out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, it's easy to see. How they yeah. changed it, right? It's yeah. easy to see how it was manipulated. Uh, so, yes. d- anyway, uh, you got to go check it out at gizmodo.com. But well, they lie about everything else. I mean, yeah, it, exactly. Who's surprise you, surprised by this? Are you walking anywhere today? You live in the city, you walk around a lot, I I walk I'd a imagine. Lot. Yeah, I walk every day. Well, yeah. uh, there are. Try to get my
2: 10,000 steps in.
4: There is a new report from Smart Growth America that says the deadliest U.S. cities for pedestrians, the top 20 U.S. cities. Uh, are the worst 20 cities for uh-huh. pedestrians. Out of the top 20, nine of them are in which state, Bill? Oh, my God.
2: New York's, New York. No, uh, California. Think lower. Oh, Alabama.
4: Florida. Oh, of course. Florida, sorry, nine of course. out of the top 20 are in Florida, with the worst is being Orlando, Florida. Orlando. Yeah. For, for walking. For walking, for pedestrians, yeah. This is the Bill
2: Press Show. Nancy Pelosi wins the big battle over the State of the Union. Donald Trump says, okay, all right, Nancy, I surrender. I won't show up on Tuesday, January 29, and I won't try to give some bogus speech anywhere else. You win, I lose. Now, let's get down to talking about the wall, shall we? What do you say? Hello, everybody. It is a Thursday. That is a big overnight news. Donald Trump agreed to do that late last night, which uh, gives us a lot to talk about here. In addition to everything else going on in the news today, on this Thursday, January 24, hello, hello, hello. Great to see you, and thanks for being part of the program. We call it the Bill Press Program. Bill Press and friends here coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio right in the heart of the action right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Close enough to the U.S. Capitol that we uh, can hear them from here. and or we can, Well, we can hear them and see them from where we are, and they can hear us. You're damn straight uh, just down the street. And not that far away from the White House, just about five or six metro stops down to the White House, where we go almost every day. Uh, good to see you. Thanks for being part of the program, and we invite you to really participate in the program by sending us your comments on the news of the day, what's going on, what we're uh, anything that we're talking about or even not talking about. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Whether you are joining us online on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash/The Bill Press Show, or on television, looking at you on Free Speech TV, or looking at you, or listening to you. And joining you on the radio, you're looking good on the radio this morning in Indiana, statewide on Indiana Talks, and out in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area, hello WCPT. Yes, indeed, Um, middle of the night. I don't know why. I just uh, decided, hmm, I had a feeling something was going on, honestly. About 2 o'clock this morning, I just rolled over, grabbed my cell phone, looked at it, and there was a tweet from Donald Trump about 11.30 last night, where he capitulated after this back and forth yesterday. And nobody really knew how it was going to turn out over the State of the Union. Uh, and, And, you know, as we talk about this, let me just ask you one question to ponder as we go along. And ponder this question. Does anybody still think it was a good idea to dump Nancy Pelosi as the next Speaker of the House and to put some rookie in there, seriously. After what we saw yesterday, okay. So we'll give you the late night tweet in just a second. But just first of all, let's let's remind ourselves of the way this started. So the day she was sworn in, January third, the new speaker sent a letter to the president inviting him to give his State of the Union speech on January 29th. The shutdown is in its early stages. It continues. It continue. January 16, last week, the Speaker sent a letter to the President saying, I'm suggesting that you might reconsider your uh, that invitation, the date of January 29. I don't think it would be a good idea to have this State of the Union while the shutdown is is still rolling on. And if it's still in place, I would suggest that you might think about like another date. It was a very polite letter. It didn't say stay home. It just said, maybe we ought to think about this. Uh, No answer for Donald Trump until yesterday afternoon, he sent a letter back to Nancy Pelosi, basically saying, and we had heard rumors that the White House was trying to figure out how to deal with this. What were they going to do? Were they going to go? Some state uh, legislatures had adopted and invited him to come there to their state legislative chamber and give the State of the Union... There was the idea that he could, as presidents used to do until President Woodrow Wilson, just do it in writing, Uh, or he might go somewhere else in Washington, or he might go to the Senate chamber. There are all kinds of, or he'd have just a big political rally, which is hardly a State of the Union, all that kind of thing. But yesterday, we hadn't heard from the president officially until yesterday. He sent yesterday afternoon. He sends a letter back, response to to Speaker Pelosi, where he sort of said, "I'm going to call your bluff, Nancy." I am going to show up. I want you to know. I am coming on January 29, and I look forward to seeing you on the Hill January 29. Uh, And they thought, and when I saw that letter, I thought, "Mm, boy, how's Nancy going to respond to this? Can she really turn off the lights and lock the doors to the House chamber? So the president of the United States, who comes all the way up to Capitol Hill in his motorcade, Can't get in the building or can't get in the chamber. And within an hour, Nancy Pelosi sent a letter back to the president. He tried to call her bluff. Didn't work. She sent a letter back to the president saying, that invitation on January 29 is hereby rescinded. You are no longer invited. You do not have permission. You will not have permission to speak on the House floor. Uh, You may not believe this, but it's true. The Speaker controls the House floor. The President of the United States does not. The President of the United States has no jurisdiction over the House floor. He can enter the House. He cannot speak on the House floor unless the Speaker gives his or her permission. And so Donald Trump was trapped. Nancy Pelosi said, you're not invited. You are no longer invited. And, so, and there were
4: multiple different possible <laughs> alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. Venues. There were governors around the country that asked Donald Trump to come. Yeah. Right. Rumors he could do it for Mar-a-Lago if he wanted to, you know. But he he said he said, I'm still coming up there. Yeah.
2: And then uh, so she said, well, no, you're not, dude. You're not. You're not invited. What's Donald Trump going to do in this place? Well, last night, surprising a lot of people, he sent out this tweet.
4: Uh, this was late last night after 11 p.m. Yeah. As the shutdown was going on, Nancy Pelosi asked me to give the State of the Union address. I agreed. She then changed her mind because of the shutdown, suggesting a later date. This is her prerogative. By the way, the president did not write this tweet. Because uh, a prerogative? There's a prerogative no. is correctly spelled.
2: Oh, no. Didn't uh, write this
4: it. is her prerogative. I will do the address when the shutdown is over. I am not looking for an alternative venue for the uh, State of the Union Address because there is no venue that can compete with the history, tradition, and importance of the House chamber. I look forward to giving a, quotation marks, great (laughs) (laughs) State of the Union Address in the near future. Right. And then he went to bed. Right. (laughs) Uh, So,
2: in other words, he said, okay, all right, Nancy, you said I can't do it until after the State of the Union. Okay, I concede I will give the state of the union speech after the government reopens. We'll set a new date, which is exactly what Nancy Pelosi said in the beginning. And uh, the the president finally had to agree. Hugely significant. I I saw the phrase this morning, which I thought really sort of summed it up, that in in Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump has been uh, outmatched, and he finds himself now outmatched and out of answers. Uh, and isn't it interesting, of all the political opponents whom he treats as political enemies and reviles, I mean, starting with, of course, his Republican opponents in the, uh, uh, in, the, in the primary of 2016, ridiculing every one of them, calling them names, coming up with nicknames for all of them, insulting them personally, I mean, really bad stuff. Even members of, and, and members of like Chuck Schumer, even and, and other members of Congress, he's never come up with a nickname for Nancy. He's never personally insulted her. He just, he's, he has met his match in yeah.
4: Nancy Pelosi. You know, it, he doesn't know how to handle her. Not handle, at all. No, not at all. And it's, it's really interesting to see <laughs> what happens when you have somebody who's f- from as far outside of politics as Donald Trump is meet somebody who was steeped in politics from a very, very young age. I mean, Nancy Pelosi yeah. grew up in politics, and you just can't, there are certain situations where you just can't show up, run your mouth as loud as you can, and get what you want when you're talking politics.
2: But this is the way Donald Trump survived yeah. or thrived in real, in New York real estate. Totally. Right? And he is trying the same tactics here in Washington, D.C., it doesn't work. Well, I'm sorry. It works for Mitch McConnell. It works for Lindsey Graham. It works for Paul Ryan. It works for Kevin McCarthy. It works for people who have neither backbone nor conscience nor soul, Uh, but it it won't won't work for anybody who stands up for him for what is right and uh, with the facts. So uh, it's hugely significant what happened. This kind of rolled out during the day just to get a, a little uh, taste of the sound, if you will, yesterday, where Donald Trump, again, in the morning before he released his letter, he said, look, um, I wanna, I'm going to go up there and give my speech.
0: We were planning on doing a really very important speech in front of the House and the Senate, the Supreme Court, and everybody else that's there.
2: Yeah, he says, you know, Nancy just doesn't want the American people to know the truth.
0: Nancy Pelosi, or Nancy as I call her, she doesn't (laughs) want to hear the truth, and she doesn't want to hear, more importantly, the American people hear the truth.
2: Uh, Thank you, uh, Peter Ogburn, or Peter, as I call him. Um, (laughs) What is that all about? He
0: makes no sense. He just rambles. Nancy Pelosi,
2: or Nancy, as I call her,
0: because. Nancy Pelosi. Or. Or Nancy, as I call her. uh, uh, Nancy, as I call her, because that's That's her her name. name.
2: (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And again, she doesn't accuse Nancy. Listen carefully. So, again, he won't attack her, he doesn't accuse her of being. The radical left, he says, the radical left has radicalized her.
0: And the super left Democrats, the radical Democrats, what's going on in that party is shocking.
2: It's shocking, yeah. They've radicalized her. Uh, and but, and then, then, of course, he's got this wrong. This is absolutely, this has never happened before.
0: I don't believe it's ever happened before. And it's always good to be part of history, but this is a very negative part of history. This is where people are afraid to open up and say what's going on.
2: Uh, well, again, uh, he's wrong. Um, I, I almost feel sorry for him that he doesn't have anybody around him. Well, he does, but he doesn't listen to him. He doesn't listen. He doesn't care. I he doesn't just listen. correct myself. At any rate, uh, it doesn't happen often, but in 19, we know that presidents up until Woodrow Wilson used to deliver the State of the Union in writing— uh, but um, in 1986, Speaker Tip O'Neill refused to let Ronald Reagan give a State of the Union address until the House voted on aid or def- denying aid to the uh, Nicaraguan Contras. So uh, it rare happens rarely, but it's uh, not the first time in history. And again, for the Speaker, she's just saying it's very, very simple. The way out, pardon me, the way out of this is. Just reopen the government and then we'll have set a n- new date.
0: We have said very clearly from the start, uh, when I wrote to him the second time to say since government is shut down, we do not let's let's work together on a mutually agreeable date and we can welcome you to the Capitol to get a real the State of the Union address.
2: Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense, right? Okay. So then when she when the President said, Okay, I'll do it. Uh, I'll stay away, meaning, and I'll give the speech when the government reopens. uh, The speaker, uh, again, showing her political finesse, uh, wrote back or tweeted back, whatever, to the president saying, "Okay, now uh, uh, just support the bill we're going to pass tomorrow, which will reopen the government, and then we'll put this to rest once and for all.
4: Yeah, her tweet, again, she was up. Uh, Watching his tweets last night because she fired back pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, She said, Mr. President, I hope by saying near future, you mean you will support the House pass package Mm -hmm. to end the shutdown that the Senate will vote on tomorrow, meaning today. Please accept this proposal so we can reopen the government, repay our federal workers, and then negotiate our differences. So she's ready, man. She was
2: She's on it. Yeah, Thanks. she was all over it. Uh, which, which gets us to the uh, shutdown again. Day 34 of the Trump shutdown. And today, there will be the dueling bills uh, in front of the United States Senate. Mitch McConnell giving uh, the best spin that he can on what the uh, Republican plan looks like. This is Donald Trump's plan that he announced from the White House last Saturday.
0: Reopen the closed portions
2: of the federal government right away. Increase security on our southern border, mm-hmm. deliver yeah. disaster recovery mm-hmm. funding, mm-hmm. and address some outstanding immigration issues. Uh, in other words, Mitch McConnell, a 5.7 billion dollars for a permanent wall on the border, in response in return for a temporary three-year DACA fix. He knows that's not going anywhere. It won't get any Democratic votes. It's not going to pass. Uh, Chuck Schumer said, "Look, you got two bills." One will reopen the government. In fact, I think this is very important to recognize what's, what's the choice here. But here, at Schumer, in just a second. But what McConnell is, what McConnell and the president are saying, uh, okay, reopen the government, and you have to reopen the government, and you have and find three temporary temporary fix of three years on 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 DACA in return for the permanent wall. Chuck Schumer is saying our bill doesn't have any strings attached. It's reopen the government. And then we'll talk. Reopen the government. No conditions. Reopen the government. And we'll talk about anything you want to talk about. Here's Chuck Schumer.
1: One simply reopens the government. The other says, no way. No way. It embodies the president's temper tantrum.
2: (laughs) All right. You got it. And Chuck Schumer makes a very important point we've made on this show, too, which is, let's be honest, this
1: wall is never going to happen. Even if he succeeds, which he won't, I believe, it would take years to build that wall. (laughs) And there's eminent domain and so many other issues that it might never be built at all.
2: So don't expect, uh, I believe, don't expect either one of these bills to pass. Don't expect any relief. And the shutdown will roll on. Uh, meanwhile, um, the th- this is not, and Trump's got to be aware of this. Uh, this is not helping Donald Trump. It's not helping the Republican Party. Uh, the latest poll out from um, the Politico this morning shows that Donald Trump's, as a result of this, Donald Trump's disapproval rating is at the highest ever. Uh, 40% of Americans approve of the job he's doing as president. 57%, highest ever, disapprove of the job he's doing. 54% blame Donald Trump and the Republicans for the shutdown. And get this, according to CBS this morning, seven their latest poll 71% of Americans say the wall is not worth a government shutdown. 71% say don't don't continue the shutdown, no government shutdown, in order to get Donald Trump his wall. Uh, of course, not all Americans agree with that, and not all Americans give a damn about the... Um, Almost a million federal employees who are uh, still furloughed or forced to work without a, without a paycheck. Uh, Donald Trump doesn't care, obviously. He could have ended it 34 days ago. Uh, could never, uh, and Lara Trump, his daughter-in-law married to Eric Trump, doesn't have a lot of empathy either. She was on a little thing called Bold TV yesterday with um, a reporter or anchor by the name of Carrie Sheffield. And she was asked, so what would you tell these people like the Coast Guard, like the Secret Service, you know, like the FBI agents who've been coming to work, forced to work, and now forced to work for 34 days with not a dime.
4: And, and remember, by the way, we're talking about people who aren't able to pay mm-hmm. for their medication. There was that horrible story that we've referenced yeah. a couple of times yeah. about the woman that didn't take her medication, didn't tell her husband, and went to sleep, knowing, not knowing if she was going to wake up again because— she, She didn't have the medication that she needed. This is who we're talking about here.
2: Right. And, uh, Laura, so what do you think about this, Laura?
5: In terms of the workers who are coming to work and not getting paid, what would you say to them? Listen, this is – it's not fair to you, and we all get that, but –
4: This is so much bigger than any one person. Um, It it is a little bit of pain, but it's going to be for the future of our country. And their children and their grandchildren and generations after them will thank them for their sacrifice right now.
0: Woof.
2: Oh, Yikes. Wow. I'm telling you. Let them eat cake and be happy for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yes, you are sacrificing yourself on the altar of Donald Trump for the greater glory of Donald Trump and the horizontal Trump Tower that he wants to build along the southern border. A
4: little bit of pain.
2: Yeah. A little just, bit of pain. It's just a little bit of pain. Don't worry. Yeah. Almost a million people, mm-hmm. no
4: paycheck for over a month. A little yeah. bit of pain. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, right. Can't pay the can't pay the mortgage. Can't bank the car payment. House repossessed, right? A uh, little bit of pain. Yeah. Can't pay up. for
4: your medication. Uh, you're
2: gonna be paying off your credit card for the rest of your life. A little bit of pain. A little
4: bit of pain. You'll yeah, be all right. But but it. look at what you're getting for it. Mm-hmm. Look at what you're getting for it. Yeah. A wall on the southern border, which probably won't happen. This Trump
2: family is the most corrupt, guilt-ridden family. You know, it, representing just the worst of America. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. All all of them. Every single. Every it's a disease. I don't know. Maybe Tiffany, but you know, just because we <laughs> don't hear much, <laughs> Tiffany's
4: going to save us all. Yeah, right.
2: <laughs> or Brandon. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, by the way, very good. Uh, just to, to put the um, and I know a lot of people are saying. I I hear this even from friends of mine. Drives me crazy. Well, come on. Everybody's got to give. You know, it's time to compromise. It's kind of Democrats just have to. Okay, they'll get the dreamers. So they got to just give Donald Trump money for his wall, the $5.7 billion. No, no, that's idiotic. The wall is a dumb idea. Don't give him a dime for it. I think Nancy Pelosi is too generous when she said give him a dollar. Don't give him a freaking dime for his wall. It's unnecessary. It's not going to stop the flow of drugs. It's not going to stop people from coming to this country. It's not going to do anything he says. We don't need it. It's just, again, a monument to Donald Trump. What can we do with that? Karen Tomalty has a great piece yesterday's Washington Post. Because one of the only branches of the military that is working without pay is the Coast Guard. Most of the drugs intercepted and in not getting to this country last year, or the last couple of years, were intercepted by who? The Coast Guard. The Coast Guard is operating on a lot of. Old equipment, they've got some 40,000 members of the Coast Guard and about 8,000 civ- civilians that work with the Coast Guard, who now, again, 34 days uh, without a paycheck. And so she asked, um, checked into what the Coast Guard needs and how much it would cost. So just listen to this little shopping list for the co- from the Coast Guard, okay? Uh, here's what the Coast Guard would like. From Congress. Uh, Six new surveillance planes. Three unmanned aircraft. Eight helicopters. A helicopter squadron on the West Coast. A boat station on the Rio Grande. Forward operating bases in South Texas and on both coasts in Central America. Better cybersecurity. One new cutter, Legion class cutter and six rapid response cutters. That's what the Coast Guard has said, that they need to really do the job of intercepting the drugs and protecting the coast. Uh, you know what that would cost? $2.7 billion. All of that, everything the Coast Guard says they need, $2.7 billion. Now, why would the Congress give them a $5.7 billion for the freaking wall and not give the Coast Guard what they need? Doesn't that like make more sense? What idiots these Republicans are to go along with Donald Trump and that crazy demand for the wall. At any rate, uh, more about that coming up a little bit later. Um, Other news, we thought we were going to hear from Michael Cohen on uh, February 7. And yesterday, uh, one of his attorneys, our friend Lanny Davis, announced that Michael Cohen is going to delay his testimony because he says he received so many threats to him and to his family— Uh, not unnamed threats. He said threats from Donald Trump and from Rudy Giuliani and others. And so he has asked the House to delay his testimony to some future date, yet unnamed. Uh, Donald Trump was asked about this yesterday uh, at the White House, and he says there's only one thing that threatened Michael Cohen.
0: I would say he's been threatened by the truth. He's only been threatened by the truth.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. As if Donald Trump knows what the truth is, right? <laughs> Man. Uh, what was that number yesterday? Uh, 8,168 yeah. lies told by Donald Trump in the first two years of the presidency. Yeah. Yeah. It is not uh, Michael Cohen who is threatened by the truth. He, had, he has lied to Congress. He admitted that. But he has since told the truth, and he will tell the truth when he comes before Congress. And uh, I'm sure... Donald Trump was glad to see him delay his testimony Yeah, yeah, oh because he doesn't want us to hear the truth. The
4: the longer that Michael Cohen goes without (laughs) actually talking to the American people, the better off Trump is going to be.
2: Right. Uh, So there's a new book coming out next week uh, from St. Martin's Press from Thomas Dunn Publications. Um, Proudly say that uh, that's my publisher and my uh, uh, Tom Dunn. Um, Published my last book, Trump Must Go, and the one before that from the left. Uh, This new book is called... Team of Vipers, it's written by a former close aide to Donald Trump. Didn't have that high a position, but he was right in the inside circle. Part of the campaign moved into the White House. His name is Cliff Sims, and he paints a picture of the White House in total disarray, total chaos, that reflects everything we learned in the Michael Wolf book and everything we learned in the Bob Woodward book uh, multiplied by 10, uh, constant, constant, Backstabbing, and he really goes after um, some some people there by name. Tells all kinds. Of, I haven't read the book yet, but I've read so many excerpts from the book. Um, he would he would follow Donald Trump around <laughs> with a can of this like super spray, so that not one, you know, hair of his orange wig would be out of place. It's it was- not a wig, but.
4: There was a moment when he went to the uh, MLK memorial uh-huh. the other day, and it was very quick. Yeah, you have two to, minutes. to don't blink because you minutes. might miss the moment. But the wind caught his hair.
2: Oh, oh, God. And
4: let me tell you something. You will pray to the God of your choice mm. that you will never see <laughs> I didn't a see hair that. situation yeah. like that ever. It's very bad.
2: But interestingly enough, Cliff Sims says that the worst backstabber uh, the, the least loyal person, the person in the White House who is all, all out for herself, the worst of all is Kellyanne Conway. And not only that, the biggest leaker in the White House. So here's a voice you haven't heard in a long time. Anderson Cooper found Sam Donaldson on his ranch out in New Mexico last night. Brought Sam Donaldson back to for his comments about Kellyanne Conway.
0: Well, I've not seen anything like Kellyanne Conway. I mean, she and the president are symbiotic in their relationship. They look in the mirror, they see each other. They're both narcissists. They both want all the kind of media spotlight on them. They don't mind trashing anyone. She's trashed him. Morning Joe, for instance, is another example. He trashes people. And they both lie. I mean, what more do you want? Now, in a leaker, though, you want the straight stuff if you're going to publish it. You, You don't want to pass along something that's not right. So Kellyanne has to be very careful. And when she covers herself by saying, well, these are alternative facts. No, it's not alternative facts or alternative truth.
2: (laughs) It's just so good to hear Sam Donaldson. Isn't it? After a long time. I love that guy. He's a good friend, and uh, it's glad that he's still still kicking and still stirring things up. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Rudy Giuliani, a lot of word out of the White House that Donald Trump is not happy with all the cleanup that Rudy Giuliani's had to be, had to do uh, on television. Uh, again, a lot of it about Michael Cohen. We'll get into that with Matt Ford from The New Republic coming up next year. Give us a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: Follow us on Twitter
4: at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Thursday, January
2: 24, The Bill Press Show. Washington, D.C. is where we start out. And we end up uh, right alongside of you, wherever you are, in the United States of America or even around the globe. Joining you online on the radio and television brought to you today by the International Association of Iron Workers, right? The great men and women of the uh, Iron Workers Union under President Eric Dean building our communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow. If the Congress ever gets its act together, check out their website at ironworkers.org. Here with us for the next half hour from New Republic to talk about a whole lot of issues our good friend Matt Ford. Matt's good to see you. Good to see you again. Um, been a while. Uh, yeah, yeah so, glad to be back. Uh, good to have you. Good to have you back. Uh, before we uh, jump into some new stuff. Um, Let's catch up on some comments from the last half hour, Peter.
4: Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Let me first of all give a shout out again uh, for, I think, the third day this week to our buddy Phil, PhillyFan underscore 99. They had a big
2: crowd yesterday at the Hard office building.
4: Phil was there for it. He got some photos of it. If you want to see him, go check him out. He's on Twitter, at PhillyFan underscore 99. I'm looking at a...
2: Big photo in the uh, New York Times this morning.
4: Yeah, he, he was there, uh, got, got some pictures of it. But he also says this morning, Trump's caving to Speaker Pelosi on the State of the Union may be the surest sign that he knows he is not getting the wall. Uh, yeah. Luna says.
2: Both, all of those things about this is good for politically, this is a win for the GOP. Uh-uh. I don't think All so. All the signs are just the opposite.
4: Yeah. Uh, Luna says both Trump and Putin have met their match in Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. She is the de facto POTUS. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to go that far, but uh, mm-hmm. thank you for your comment. I appreciate that. Uh, if you have a comment on any topic at any time, just find us on Twitter at BP Show. All right. Uh, there you go. By the way,
2: um, Matt and, uh, and friends, uh, I noticed this morning a member of the White House press corps. I get to schedule uh, every day. Uh, that the president has a very, very busy day today. Uh, uh, I mean, one thing we know, he is working hard uh, for this country, working hard for people in America. The president's schedule today consists of nothing. There is not one event on his schedule, not even a phony lunch with Mike Pence, which is the one thing they usually throw in when he has nothing else on his schedule. Um
3: What's that tell us? It's very zen, isn't it? You know, like he's just, just not doing anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's
4: got a couple of, uh, like he's got an hour blocked off for his meditation. Uh, he does transcendental meditation, right? We are sure
2: Oh, of that. yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what it means is cable TV and tweeting. That's right. what it's going to be doing yes. all day. Right.
3: And what he's going to he, see he, is, is that he's losing this. You know, he's seeing Republican senators start to get uncomfortable. He's seeing poll numbers dropping. He's going to see Pelosi emerging clearly triumphant in, in a clash. Uh, he's not going to be happy about it. And it's right. going to be interesting to see how that, that manifests for the rest of us.
2: Well, uh, that's a good question. Does he see that or does is he still live in this... You know, self-created bubble that he's the greatest in the world, and everybody loves him, and his base loves him, and he's winning this battle. Sometimes you think—I mean, he does live in a parallel universe.
3: I mean, he really does, and and it's an so act of his own. That's what worries mind. me. It, I mean, it, its very worrying. We would hope that the president would be more in touch with the reality, but that requires, you know, effort to maintain. <laughs> and if you surround yourself with people who tell you great things, uh, it's relatively easy to maintain that that image that you're you're doing great. If, on the other hand, you know, we're surrounded by all these obviously negative blinking red indicators, um, that becomes a little harder to, to keep up. And I think at some point it's going to reach him that that this is this is not working and he's losing this. Or people around him
2: might be able to tell him that. But right.
3: will he listen? Even? Right. I mean, maybe maybe Ivanka and Jared can get through to him. They seem to be the only consistent people in the White House but uh, who can actually, you know, talk to him. But uh, the rest of the staff, I, I, I don't know.
2: Right. So the one person that he had that he sort of pulled in to help him out, to defend him on television, to make his case for him, Rudy Giuliani.
3: Rudy Giuliani.
2: Um, and every time Rudy Giuliani appears on television, he lets the cat out of the bag, or he changes the goalpost, or he screws it up so badly that he's got to go back the next day and do a cleanup, yeah. right? And uh, so... Is Donald Trump, there
3: are different stories about how Donald Trump must see that this is not helping him that much. I mean, it, you could take two schools of thought on this. On one hand, you can see Rudy Giuliani as this, like, master manipulator of the media. He knows just what to say, just how to frame things to sort of diffuse future tensions, to sort of uh, get the reporters talking about something else, uh, a Svengali-like figure. Or he just simply doesn't know what he's doing he's out of his his element here. Um, he's dealing with something way beyond what he's capable of handling and he's letting things slip that he shouldn't. Or you're right.
2: It's hard to read because maybe he's letting things slip that they knew were going to slip anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh let two examples pop into my mind. One is the White House for a long president for a long time said, "I didn't know anything about Michael Cohen paying Stormy Daniels any money and I certainly I didn't know about it and I certainly I didn't pay it myself, and I didn't pay him back, or whatever. Well, then Rudy got, goes on Sean Hannity, of all places, yep. and say, of course the president paid him back, and of course the president knew about it. Mm-hmm. And everybody went, whoa,
3: yeah. right? And then he comes out the next day, and he says, oh, yeah, well we knew this was going to come out, so we're getting ahead of it. If you watch that clip, Sean Hannity has no idea he's going to say no, that. Yeah, you can tell no. he's, like,
2: really taken well, aback by Sean the because Sean Hannity had been used, uh, giving the party line, right? Yeah. And then the rug is pulled out from under him, right? Mm-hmm. So that's n- number one. Number two is most recently, Donald Trump had said he had nothing. He'd During the campaign, he said over and over again, I have no business dealings with Russia. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about it. No. The idea I'm talking about them about anyth- anything is wrong. No, no, no. But then Rudy goes out and says, in fact, that the <laughs> the president was and Michael Cohen were talking to Moscow about this Trump hotel tower up until... No. uh, The day he won. Right. In fact, he quoted the president saying the president told me I stopped talking about Moscow Hotel the day I won. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Well, that's that totally contradicts everything Donald Trump is it. Now, did he let that slip accidentally or was it,
3: you know, planned? It's 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 so hard to tell because these are you know, you don't normally see lawyers acting like this. You don't normally see them go out there and give information that (laughs) is obviously damaging to their client's interests. Um, The only, in all other things being equal, the only reasonable explanation would be that he's trying to get in front of it. But this happens so routinely and so haphazardly in a way. There doesn't seem to be any sort of strategy behind it. uh, It's really hard to believe that he's actually like, you know, planning this in advance. Uh, So I saw two stories uh, the
2: other day, same day, two stories, one saying... Donald Trump has had it with Rudy Giuliani and he's told him to stay off television now because you're not helping me.
3: And the other is that he loves what Rudy Giuliani is doing. Who knows? Right? I mean, they both might be right. You know, he, depending on, on what, you know, how you get him from hour to hour. Uh, he may be thinking, well, this is incredible. He's damaged me. And then he may be thinking, well, he, maybe another, they're not talking about the BuzzFeed report anymore. So
2: Maybe there's um, another answer to why Rudy Giuliani acts the way
3: he does on television is he drinking that that <laughs> is he drunk well <laughs> you know if you if you read the associated press report they cite i think three republican sources who raised that question um that's that's a very good question i have i have never had the, the fortune of speaking to rudy giuliani on the phone so i can't attest to that personally but uh mm-hmm. it's interesting <laughs> i don't know wouldn't be the first time, right?
4: Hey, look, I get loaded before I come on air every day, and nobody <laughs> gives me grief for it.
2: Uh. <laughs>
4: let Rudy let Rudy continue to drink and go on TV.
2: Uh, I'm just uh, uh, just having a, a little brain fart here, trying to remember the former congressman from. Beam me up, Scotty, from Youngstown, Ohio. Jim, Trafficant, Trafficant. Yes, Delta. indeed. Now, when Tucker Carlson and I had the spin room on on CNN, mm-hmm. Jim Trafficant was our favorite guest because he showed up drunk every night, <laughs> uh, every time he was on the show, and it made for great television. He was, yeah.
4: <laughs> so, Gee, you could have never told that he was drinking, <laughs> I guy can, like that. I can
2: say that now because he passed away a few years ago, right? So, <laughs> well, someday we'll know the truth about Rudy.
4: My kind of guy.
2: But what do you think about a guy who says? On well, his tombstone, he believes that they'll have the epitaph: "He lied for Donald Trump." It's
3: isn't it, that's pathetic. It's really sort of you, you could almost see in that interview him wrestling with like the demons of 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 what he's doing and sort yeah, of recognition. Yeah. That, you know, this is, might be what he is remembered for, not the being mayor on. 9/11. I lied for Donald Trump. Yeah, th- this this whole nightly charade where he goes on TV and just says whatever comes to mind.
2: Why did Michael Cohen, uh, what's the real story, why did he delay his testimony yesterday from a planned testimony before the House Oversight Committee on February 7?
3: Well, there are two interesting things in the statement his lawyer put out that are really worth knowing. One, of course, is the the assertion that uh, the president has threatened him in some way. Uh, and I and, you know, that's Threaten something him and his family and his family. And that's something lawmakers need to look yeah. into because it is illegal to pressure witnesses not to talk to Congress. I mean,
2: talk about witness tampering. Right. Right,
3: Exactly. Or even, uh, you know, this but he didn't give
2: any evidence that uh, or how the president has threatened him. He certainly has not said he's called him a liar, basically. Right. right? You know, he but said that's some mean tweets, a, but that's, that's not a threat to him and his family.
3: Right. I would hope that if you're you're alleging that the president is threatening you in some way, that there's something more to back that up. But the second part that really stood out to me was also the fact that he is continuing to cooperate with prosecutors. Mm-hmm. And if you're a prosecutor and you're trying to build a case, the, the, something that you don't want, something that they say is, is harmful, is having a witness go out and basically spill everything on national TV while they're still in the process of building right. out the case. Right. Right. And so if you're Mueller and you're seeing this happening on February 7th, uh, and you know this BuzzFeed report is out there now where he's going to be asked all these questions about obstruction, which is reportedly something that Mueller's looking into. Um, you may be uncomfortable with the idea of him going before Congress and, and saying this. So is it
2: possible that Mueller said, you know what, we would really prefer you not to testify?
3: It's possible he may have said that. It's possible that, that Lana Davis, uh, you know, Cohen's lawyer, may have gotten that vibe in general sort of in unspoken ways. Um, but, you know, this is something that, that, that is going to happen eventually. Um, you know, at some point, Michael is going to have to go before Congress and tell them uh, what exactly transpired. Mm-hmm. And until then, um, you know, we, we basically have what he's already said to go with, that he committed uh, crimes at the direction of the president. Um,
2: he did He did say he was not canceling his testimony, but postponing it until right. some, some future time. Matt Ford's with us from New Republic. NewRepublic.com is where you can follow him and his colleagues there. Um, the Dueling votes, dueling bills today in front of the uh, United States Senate. Most people expect both of them to fail. Um, will that lead us closer or farther away from ending the shutdown?
3: Uh, it, you know, it, it depends whether you're an optimist or a pessimist. You know, the <laughs> fact that they don't get these bills through is obviously not a good sign for it ending anytime soon. There's one school of thought that this could lead to, you know, a new round of negotiations. Right. That, that you know McConnell and Pelosi and Schumer could sit down and try to hash something out. Um, it's hard to be optimistic at this point. Um, the differences are so intractable uh, that there's really no sign of anybody budging. And it ultimately comes down to a president who could change his mind on a dime.
2: Right. Um, and um, and a president who changed his mind yes day, late last night, about the State of the Union, Mm -hmm. uh, could conceivably change his mind about reopening the government without getting his $5.7 billion, meaning essentially what the Democrats have put forward and Republicans voted for before the first of the year in the Senate, a unanimous vote in the Senate, which is separate the two, reopen the government and then... Continue negotiations on border security.
3: Right, and you know it's clear that the Democrats uh, won't accept a wall. Um, they they've said that multiple times, uh, and more more importantly, they have just received an electoral mandate to oppose it. Uh, what they can provide on border security is a different matter. That's something where they can do drones. They can do n- new new hires for Border Patrol. Um, these are things that are not exactly you know positive in some regards for them. They they don't necessarily want to see the border become a militarized wasteland. Um, but if it's if to reopen the government, they may concede that it's worth it.
2: Right. Uh, but certainly the plan that Donald Trump put forward Saturday, permanent wall in response for in return for temporary fix for the dreamers. Right. Dead, I mean, in, the, dead in the water.
3: A- absolutely. Uh, this is a bill that no, no Democratic lawmaker, not even Joe Manchin, could could <laughs> go out there and support. Um, well we'll see today. Well, well we'll see he said he was undecided on it yeah um, but you know there's no reason for them to do so because it's so extreme in one direction uh, it, it completely rewrites the the programs that Trump suspended the one for for uh, dreamers and the one for people who fled you know natural disasters and civil wars to come here and receive temporary status completely rewrites those imposes higher standards for people who've already lived in the United States for years to get back into the programs and then it completely rewrites asylum laws um, for Central American minors yeah. in a lot of ways that may violate U.S. humanitarian commitments. Right.
2: Um, you write
3: about so many different
2: things and cover so many different <laughs> issues. Kind of general interest reporter over there, right? Yeah. Or uh, utility infielder. Um, you've also written about the Medicare for All. This is something that um, everybody jumping into 2020 on the Democratic side, mm-hmm. basically adopting as a platform, Medicare for All. Right. Medicare for All. What's it mean, and is it the same? Like, is this single-payer? Does this mean Bernie Sanders has won that argument
3: once and for all? Uh, and how realistic is it? Well, one of the things that's, that's nice about the Medicare for All program is that it kind of takes something that people already know, which is the Medicare program, and then expands it to everybody. Um, and so it's sort of a way to build a little bit more than a single-payer system because uh, it would also cover the wide range of, of options for health care that Medicare already provides. Um, so we're talking about drug costs. we're talking about um, mm. all sorts of negotiating for lower prices, things like that. Um, the thing that, that really struck me though, is is you know we're we're having a lot of candidates talk about these these technical policy issues, Medicare for all, green New Deal. Um, and what I wrote was was, you know we also need to consider reform for democracy itself, um, you know, fixing the systems so though that these policies can actually pass.
2: And uh, so like in what ways, particularly?
3: Well, the, f- the ways that, you know, there's there's ones that, you know, people on the left have, have focused on for years, which is Electoral College, gerrymandering in the House. Um, what I wrote is that we also need to take a hard look at the Senate. Um, the way it's currently structured gives Republicans a, a deep advantage, um, an inherent structural benefit in uh, the way that House operates, and combined with the filibuster, um, it gives them a veto over legislation even when they're in the minority. Um, so, you know... Ideally, you'd be able to change the Senate's composition maybe through a constitutional amendment, Uh, but since that's not actually constitutionally possible, uh, you know, it's about adding new states. Uh, We've seen Jill Brandon Warren talking about making D.C. and Puerto Rico states, uh, sort of leveling the playing field, and also giving representation to the people who live there. Um, So I have to ask you, are you um, a consultant to
2: or a speechwriter for Pete Buttigieg, the uh, Mayor of South Bend, Indiana. I, I'm not. No. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> for the record, the reason I ask is because he announced two days ago, right, mm-hmm. that he is forming an exploratory committee to run for president. Uh, and I read his statement, and his statement makes the exact same point that you did, <laughs> well, which that's... is uh, it's not enough to think about temporary fixes. We need to reform democracy, right, if, uh, from the ground up. And he's talking about, you know, the way we vote way though you know, all, all things a lot of things that you mentioned.
3: I, I think that's a natural rela- reaction for elected officials to have. Uh, we've seen you know certainly during the Obama era how Republicans were able to use these sort of small gains both through gerrymandering after 2010 after the, the wave election there um, and then through McConnell's sort of machinery in the house, uh, how they can manipulate the system <laughs> to prevent uh, you know not small D democratic actions from taking place. Uh, the shutdown is a classic example of that. This is something the American people overwhelmingly want to end. This is something that the House overwhelmingly wants to end. This is something that probably most senators in their hearts of hearts want to end. Uh, and it's not happening because uh, the floor is not designed to actually represent the will of the American people.
2: Right. Uh, I
3: mean, it, it it may mean adding new members
2: to the House even. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have suggested uh, you know, taking another look at um, also, um, some states. Uh, I heard the num- figure last night. A state senator in California, I think, represents more people than the United States senator from Wyoming.
3: Right? I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Um, the ratio, I think, something. And this this is this is uh, you know spitball numbers from something I read a while ago. So, it, it, but roughly speaking, when they first uh, you know created the House back in in the old <laughs> days, each each uh, legislator represented a few thousand people. And now they represent a few tens of thousands of people—you know, fifty or sixty thousand people. Um, so one thing that people have talked about is maybe adding beyond the the 435 members of the House, maybe adding more, so that it's more representative right. of the country as a whole.
2: Right. Uh, th- th- I mean, these are big, big changes that'll take a long time to bring about. But I think it's important to start talking about them and lay them out, and just get a line of, you know, here's the fix that we need to really make this make this
3: country more. Democratic with right. a small d. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think that's one of the, the, the really important aspects of it is that, one, this is, this is something that, that should benefit everyone, uh, making it easier to vote, making it easier for your representatives to represent you. These are things that do not necessarily affect the Democratic Party or the Republican Party inherently more than any other. Simply the way the Republican Party is currently structured is that it is designed to benefit a small group of people, and the system is is built to satisfy that. In
2: terms of how the system can work or not work, um, I was reminded of this. I think maybe we all were this week when a judge in North Carolina, um, yeah, North, Carol- North Carolina, said that he was not going to seat this member of Congress, Dan Harris, I believe his name is. I think that yeah, He's it's Harris. Republican, I believe, right. Yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. Who um, might have barely won the popular vote, but there were there's serious evidence that there was a lot of hanky panky voter fraud going on, right? By on the part of one of his consultants, right? Um, and so um, the the guy is not has not been sworn in, has not been seated, and uh, because there's an investigation going on into the voter fraud, okay? Mm-hmm. So he goes in front of a judge and says, "I want you to." seat me now, even though the investigation... Got, and the judge says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to thwart the will of the people and put you in thinking that, you know, it may be an invalid election. And immediately I thought, that judge showed more sense <laughs> than the United States Supreme Court right. back in 2000, where it was basically the same issue. Mm-hmm. There was a question about who had won Florida. The, investi- the count was ongoing. Mm-hmm. And the five members of the Supreme Court said, oh, we can't wait any longer. No, no, we have to jump into the process and anoint our guy. Yeah. And this judge in, again, North Carolina, I don't know anything about him. All I know is I think he showed more judgment than the collectively five judges of the Supreme Court did back in 2000 and uh, showed a greater respect for the Democratic small D system.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I was Evan Thomas, uh, the the former Newsweek journalist, has a book coming out soon about Sandra Day O'Connor. This biography that yeah. he, uh, you know, researched, did a lot of interviews for. It's it, I I was able to read an advance copy, and it was really quite good. One of the things that well, there's a whole chapter in it about Bush v. Gore and uh-huh. how she was very insistent on defending that decision at first. Now, no. all the distance time. She clearly, she, she doesn't yeah. say it outright, but she clearly regrets what happened. And I guarantee this judge in North Carolina won't feel that in 14 well, years. Look, look back on that presidency. We all regret what happened. Well, not
2: all of us. A lot of us do. Yeah. Hey, Matt, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Molly O'Toole joins us next from the Los Angeles Times and then Jamie Harrison from yes. the DNC. Is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter, at BP Show, or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us, and thanks so much for your support.
3: the trump administration this is the bill press show live
0: at youtube.com slash the bill press show
2: it is day
3: 34
2: now of the government shutdown with dueling bills to end the shutdown in front of the united states senate today neither one of them expected to pass hello everybody here we go on a thursday january 24 the bill press show Great to see you, and thank you for joining us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, bringing you the news of the day, uh, our analysis of the news of the day, the uh, insights of our guests, and your comments as well. Always welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Send us your comments on everything we're talking about or even not talking about on Twitter, at BP Show, the big stories. We'll be looking at, of course, um, what, hap- what we can expect out of the Senate today on the President's plan: uh, permanent wall in return for a temporary DACA fix, versus the Democratic plan, which is reopen the government without conditions and then let's talk about border security. Uh, both votes again, both plans again up in front of the Senate today. Meanwhile, a stunning development overnight, where after a back and forth, maybe you should think of on this back and forth over the State of the Union. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, maybe you should think about another date as long as the shutdown's going on. Donald Trump saying, nope, I'm coming anyway. I'm going to give that speech. uh, And so get ready for me. Here I come. And then Nancy Pelosi saying, guess what? You're not invited. We're going to turn off the lights and lock the doors. And Donald Trump uh, last night actually caving in and saying, okay, you win, I lose. Well, he didn't say exactly that. But in effect, uh, I'll give the State of the Union someday in the future after the government reopens. Uh, the score on that little match is Nancy Pelosi 1-Trump 0. Your comments again. Welcome uh, at BP Show. Molly O'Toole joins us from the Los Angeles Times. Haven't seen her in a while. Hello, Molly. Nice Hello. to see you. And we Welcome got back. The, yeah, welcome back. We have lots and lots to talk about, about immigration, border
4: security, and all of the above. But first... <laughs> Peter this with the, the big headlines of the day. Oh yes, all the big stories making news today. Alright, so there is no border <laughs> wall right now. And there is really no plan to fund a border wall. We've seen a lot of different people try and figure out a way to pay for it. You saw the GoFundMe page where people were contributing their own money to build the wall. Well, there is a state lawmaker in Arizona that has a very unique idea as to how the wall gets paid for. Her name is uh, State Representative Gail Griffin, she is a Republican, and she introduced a bill called HB 2444. What does this bill do? Well, it would require the people of Arizona to pay a $20 state tax to access pornographic websites. (laughs) And the money that they get from that will then go to help fund the border wall. $20 Twenty dollars to access pornographic website.
2: Now, uh, do you have to pay that every time you go on the website,
4: or just? No, you just oh. pay it one time. Oh, one time. One time, oh, and then you are one time open day. to one time. go. What to. A deal! Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Why wouldn't you do that? Uh, I'm not sure that this is going to take off, but you know, I give her points for creativity. You know what's right around the corner, Bill, is... Uh, and listen, go it's go as good a plan as Donald Trump. Sure, to yeah, with. yeah, what the hell, right? Yeah. Uh, you know what's right around the corner? Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and we talked last year uh-huh. about how the little Sweetheart's Candy, the ones that have little messages on yeah, them, were going yeah. out of business. This is going to be our first Valentine's Day. Without them? Without them. They confirmed oh Spengler Candy Company is the new owner of... Uh, of the company that made the Sweethearts and they said that they will not have any for this Valentine's Day. However... It's however, like Halloween
2: without that corn. Halloween corn. The candy corn. Yeah, candy yeah, yeah corn? exactly. No. It's terrible candy. Oh, let's can't. be clear. It's terrible candy. Yeah, but,
4: but they said it will be back on shelves next year. Oh, so just taking a year we're off? just taking a year off?
5: Yeah. Everybody deserves a break.
4: Everybody deserves a break. We need a break
2: it's from that candy. It's hard to believe they'll be back. They're like Christmas without candy canes. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, oh, right, certain things you can't, you can't change. It's sacred.
0: Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for
3: The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show.
2: Nancy Pelosi forces Donald Trump to cave over the State of the Union. She wins. Donald Trump agrees. He won't even show up on January twenty-nine. Won't even think about giving a State of the Union address, as she suggested he should do. Won't even think about it until after the state, after the government reopens. Big win for Nancy Pelosi. Big win for federal employees and for the American people. Hello, everybody. It's the Bill Press Show here on a Thursday, January 24. So good to see you. Thank you for joining us as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show worldwide. As we join you nationwide on free speech tv and out in the greater chicago area hello wcpt and all of our good friends from chicago and surrounding communities welcome to the program with lots to talk about we're happy to be joined particularly on the border issues From uh, our good friend, Mario Tool, Used to be with Defense One,
5: right? Defense One and Foreign Policy. policy. Had a long tenure with the Bill Press show.
2: And (laughs) now uh, here wearing her new hat with the Los Angeles Times. uh, Sort of, as you said, my hometown newspaper for many years at any rate. It's Mm -hmm. good to know the LA Times is still strong and kicking. And Driving, yeah. Yeah, and um, you're here in Washington, but boy... Big days in California with new governor, a whole new leadership, you know, statewide.
5: Absolutely, um, yeah. There's a lot going on in California, and then back in Washington, the delegate the California delegation, clearly already making uh, right. its power play very clear. Yeah,
2: uh, and with some striking new members, particularly from Orange County, where mm-hmm. uh, the biggest news, election news of the night, the Democrats taking the House, thanks to, in part. To picking up all seven seats in Orange County exactly. of all places, right. yeah. So right. it's really changed the the political map of California. Absolutely, right. Um, Shutdown and border security. I, I, I talked to you. How? What's the situation today at the border? How bad is it?
5: Well, I think that the most important thing to keep in mind is, is sort of the 10,000-foot view or more of a historical <laughs> perspective here. Routinely from the sort of uh, late 80s into the early aughts, we had more than a million apprehensions. Um, so U.S. officials apprehending migrants at or crossing the border. Apprehensions is sort of the best measure we yeah. have for illegal immigration. So routinely each year over a million people, the most complete last fiscal year, 500,000. So you need to keep that in mind when there's a lot of talk about this crisis at the border. Now, what is happening is the people who are coming, the demographics of that population have shifted. It's no longer Mm -hmm. sort of single adult Mexican males. We're talking about Central American families and unaccompanied minors. And that population is much more difficult. Essentially, the U.S. system, which was designed uh, in the 90s, it, it's not designed for that population, and so while overall, it's designed it's, for it's low. men
2: who are coming here to look for jobs. Essentially,
5: right? single adult, single adult men, and now we have Central American families and minors, many of whom are seeking asylum. This is a totally different population, a different situation. We still have to keep in mind that historically, overall, immigration is is way down. Right. So. That's what's going on at the border. I mean,
2: I've seen 40-year low, 45-year low, Mm -hmm. 50-year low, I think the New York Times said last week.
5: Right. Fiscal 2017 in particular, so the first fiscal year in which Trump took office, was essentially a a, a 50-year low. Now, it has come back up since then, uh, some of the immigration numbers, um, but that's relative to a 50-year low. So those numbers in total... If you compare them against sort of the historical trends, are still very low because they're being sort of compared. While it might be an uptick, we're comparing it to a 50-year low, which was that first year that Donald Trump was in office.
2: So, is it fair in any way to say that there is a humanitarian um, and national security crisis at the border?
5: National security certainly not. I and mean, we had, and I think we can see that we had weeks in which Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen and other officials were trying to suggest that there were terrorists. Coming across the U.S. border, you know, we had a lot of conflation of numbers. Was it 3,000? Was it a couple hundred? Were they on the terrorist watch list? Or did they just so happen to be from countries that have terrorism, which also, right. by the way, produce refugees and asylum seekers? Uh, and they backed away from that when Trump actually didn't gave, talk his, about it when he gave his prime time address, yeah, his yeah. Oval Office address. No, no, he didn't no, no, mention no, no. the word terrorist or terrorism once. So there is not a national security crisis. If there is a security crisis, it's in Central America, and potentially in Mexico, but it's not a national security crisis for the United States. Now, in terms, of, there is a clear humanitarian issue uh, in that we have these large families, groups huh? of people, these families, unaccompanied minors, coming from Central America. They're fleeing poverty, violence, corruption, um, sometimes state-sponsored uh, violence as well. Um, and so that's a clear humanitarian issue.
2: Right. So uh, Donald Trump has said. He, whenever he makes a case for it, it, it does change from time to time. But basically, he says we need the wall. The wall will work, and we need it for four reasons—for for, for like three or four reasons. One is and we talked about one of them: that thousands of people are pouring across the border every single day. Not true. No. Right.
5: No, it was, well, especially in terms of if you think that for this population. If people are coming across between ports of entry, um, and many people are going to that's ports of entry but are being prevented from crossing, so let's say they're crossing in between ports of entry, they're turning themselves in immediately to border authorities in order to claim asylum. So there right. aren't thousands of people trying to evade or overrun U.S. authorities every day. They're actually turning themselves in.
2: Right. That's number one. Number two, um, and he came up with a slogan, build the wall and crime will fall, that, that uh people come across criminals rapists coming into this country and most of them just can't wait to kill somebody
5: it's really important to note that many studies have shown that actually among immigrants crime rates are in fact lower and then also some of the safest cities in america are on the u.s. mexico border and safest in terms of uh... you know crime rates homicide rates et cetera Um, so it's really hard to make the claim that uh... Build the wall, crime will fall. Yeah. Um when you have some of the safest cities in America that would essentially be divided or be behind that that wall.
2: Right. Uh Peter, we should we should throw that out there. People I'd like to see people come up with other bumper stickers sure, right, to yeah. counter the Build a Wall and Crime Will Fall. I don't know.
4: Hit us up on Twitter at BP Show. We'll reach yeah. out.
2: So. Dump the Trump and uh, get the (laughs) rest of the work (laughs) on that. It's a good start. We're workshopping. I like
4: it. got to work on your bumper stickers. Uh, Um,
2: Then then he also says that if we, that's that two, uh, crime, number three related, um, if we build the wall, it will stop the flow of heroin heroin into this country and other uh, illegal drugs.
5: This is another thing that's not well understood. It is the case that. 95 percent, if you ask the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, 95 percent of uh, heroin, and in particular fentanyl, uh, which is from the sort of same class essentially, but is a much Mm -hmm. more potent uh, version, uh, does come from Mexico. Although the industrial precursors for fentanyl uh, actually come from China, uh, then Mexico, Mm -hmm. and they get into the United States. But the wall would have no real function in stopping the drugs because because they come through ports of entry they're smuggled through official ports of entry so building the wall would essentially do nothing to stop heroin specifically which is responsible for most of the deaths in the United States at the moment now occasionally you will have uh, the very uh, creative cartel uh, person who will essentially like construct a trebuchet to fling Marijuana over (laughs) over the border barrier, there have been some pretty comical Mm -hmm. ways in which they've tried to get um, marijuana across. But it's much bigger, it's much bulkier, and so that's and it's much much smaller in terms of uh, actual profit for the cartels. Uh, Heroin and in particular fentanyl can be smuggled in tiny 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 uh, tiny uh, portions essentially that go very very far uh, in terms of supply.
2: Um, I mentioned yesterday um, that, and the New York Times had a front page story about this, um, that in fact, the El Chapo trial in New York is sort of putting the lie to everything Donald Trump says about the flow of drugs because he keeps, he, the number one probably drug importer, right, or drug dealer uh, that we've ever caught and put on trial, keeps talking about how they got the drugs into the country. And it's all about stories about passenger trucks or pickup truck, passenger cars, pickup trucks. Right. Tank cars, eighteen wheelers, or something, all through ports of entry. Right, and then vary some very clever disguises and right. hiding places. Exactly.
5: Uh, that trial has been a fascinating insight into the way that the cartels operate, and and the many ways in which some of these policies that uh, the Trump administration has been suggesting would not necessarily curb their activity. Right, Because in many ways, actually, if you look at the Trump administration, Uh, while we hear the rhetoric, it is a continuation in many ways of essentially the same policies uh, that the U.S. has had, whether Democratic or Republican, since basically the 90s, uh, in order to try and deter migration and uh, curb drugs coming across the border. It's more or less the same same policy in many ways.
2: Right. So you have all of those reasons for—and then, by the way, one other thing that came out in the El Chapo trial is— what did not come through the ports of entry was smuggled through very sophisticated tunnels Mm -hmm. under part of the barrier that does that does exist i mean so
5: then we had an extremely large there were reports of a very large group i think it was more than 300 um central american migrants that actually just tunneled themselves under the wall and then turned themselves in for asylum Uh, i think it was either last week or the or the week before so it was a pretty amid a shutdown over border security and demands for 5.7 billion for a wall, you've got a group of 300 people who basically just dug under the barrier in Arizona and then turned themselves in for asylum. So that's another uh, potential point of evidence against whether or not the wall right. would
2: work. So the wall would most likely, I believe, never be built. Anyhow, um, there are parts of the wall where there's some very difficult, either natural resource problems mm-hmm. or. Uh, land ownership problems—you know—that might prevent the entire thing being built. And then um, it's it would not solve the very problems that Donald Trump talks about.
5: Right. And then, in some ways, you have to ask yourself the so, question of whether it will cre- have the opposite effect in in some mm-hmm. circumstances, actually. Um, and the the least, uh, if you look at the whole entirety of the border, which, of course, even border officials themselves would say we. We can't and we not, shouldn't necessarily try and construct a barrier across all 1,900 miles. The least fenced is Texas. And the reason, mostly, are land ownership issues, mm-hmm. as you suggested. So the most fenced is in California and in Arizona. And I think that just sort of just goes to show that there's a lot of logistics. Then you can't just throw up an extra 200 miles of border wall.
2: One story that didn't get, I think, as much attention as it deserved um, over the weekend or late last week. Uh, a federal judge in Arizona sentenced four women to jail for leaving jugs of water in the desert. Is this a federal crime?
5: I, You know, I haven't looked at the decision, but I did see that case. And it's a really interesting case. I mean, for some time, there's sort of been uh, these uh, rhetorical, uh, you know, sort of exchanges between border officials and then some of these groups that operate primarily in Arizona. But but it also sort of highlights— They're
2: not smuggling people in, right? right? Exactly. No, they drop water— Mostly church groups who put— They
5: drop water for these really rugged areas that actually the border barrier is designed to funnel people into. Mm. Um, They're trying to design people into the more rugged, remote areas because the thinking is then they won't cross, then it'll be a deterrent. Clearly it is, and people have continued to do so. Right. Uh, but it also highlights the the sort of contradiction in, in Border Patrol's role itself because they, they're actually humanitarian beacons. They're these massive beacons that you can see from dozens of miles away, and they press a call button, a migrant, if they come across them and they're lost in the desert and they're wandering. This is very rugged terrain. It gets very cold at night, very hot during the day. Uh, they go to these towers, they press the button, Border Patrol comes and gives them sort of emergency response, basically. So the Border Patrol has this very sort of contradictory role between hmm. emergency response, yeah. but also sort of frontline defense. They might be saving someone's life, this migrant that who's wandering in the desert, uh, but then they're also detaining them and potentially returning them. So it's it's it's, to me it also highlights the contradiction in border patrol's role. Increasingly, they're doing humanitarian rescues, emergency response. The
2: one thing that seemed to really um, uh, uh, upset Donald Trump is uh, about the walls. When somebody called it medieval, (laughs) he went on. I remember a couple of tweets about wheels and walls and everything. Um, But isn't a wall, really, like a 15th century response to a 21st century problem. Well,
5: I, 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 have to say, I've been puzzling over his like wheels work, walls work,
2: yeah, it, right. that
5: sort of uh, vein of of Donald Trump's I mean, um, tweets. I, I, I have been puzzling over that for some time, and it's also somewhat ironic because some of the sort of wall, most famous walls we might think of that he pointed to, they actually weren't the most they they didn't serve their purpose. You know, they cost potentially billions of dollars in modern-day terms. They basically used slave labor. And then in some circumstances, the invaders that they were supposed to be protecting against just went around or found <laughs> found other means. Well, and so they're ta- not the best example. We
2: talked about it last week when he said, look at San Antonio. Right. Well, Peter and I scratched our head. Uh, he lived in San Antonio. I was just there a couple of months ago. The only wall we know of in San Antonio is a wall around the Alamo, Hello, <laughs>
5: and also it's not How it's not worked. it's not near the border. It's, it's 150
2: not, miles 150 from the border. Yeah, right. I'm wondering
5: if he maybe got his Texas cities confused.
2: Somebody, I in said this I didn't see this, but somebody told me that the White House said, "Oh no, he made a mistake. He meant San Diego."
5: Well, San Diego doesn't have a wall. Well, San Diego, I, well, it's
2: closer to. The, it's on the border. It's
5: on the border, but it, to, there but. is a wall in in San Isidro.
2: Oh, you south
5: mean, of San Diego.
2: Yeah, but yeah. the city of San Diego never built a wall. Right,
5: right, right. I think people sort of tend to blur together San Diego and San Isidro, which, you know, yeah. 10, 15 miles south. And there is fencing along San Diego. In fact, that was some of the first fencing that was put into place in the 90s in San Diego. But
2: he was already talking about, I, I think that's giving him too much credit. He was talking about cities that have defended themselves by building a wall, right? right? You know, right. like Paris once had a wall. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. But I, I guess the point I'm getting to in this 21st century aren't. Aren't we more likely to have, you know, technological advances, whether it's uh, unmanned aircraft or electronic surveillance or satellite surveil or whatever? Exactly,
5: I mean, and I think as the with the more house, effective? there's some movement in the house with the House Democrats. They're talking about potentially giving five billion for border security, but not for a wall. It would be for a combination, basically, of border person that more border personnel, more money for technology, you know, maybe repairing some fencing. Uh, And it reflects, in fact, um, you know, I spoke to John Kelly uh, a couple days before he left the White House. John Kelly, who was Trump's first Mm -hmm. uh, chief of staff. And while there has been some nitpicking. Reince
2: Priebus was first. uh, Excuse
5: me. um, His first Homeland Security secretary is what I meant to say. So while there has been some nitpicking about whether it's a wall or it's steel slats or what is it, John Kelly said, From the very beginning of the administration, it was never going to be a concrete wall because I immediately had conversations with Border Patrol officers. People were on the front lines and they told me that's not what they need. They need something they can see through. They need more technology. They need more people. And what they don't need necessarily is, you know, the sort of 200 foot concrete wall, this vision that was sort of created by President Trump when he was a presidential candidate. So it's it's in terms of modern border enforcement. Uh, It's much more technology, people, some barriers, but it doesn't look like the sort of Great Wall of China. How many? How
2: how about every time I turn around, we need more money at the border to hire more border agents. I mean, what's the ratio now? Is it like one agent per immigrant? Really
5: interesting. You mentioned this because I actually have a story coming out on this tomorrow. But all right, if you remember the January first, so two years ago tomorrow, Donald Trump issues two executive orders saying we're going to hire five thousand. Additional Border Patrol agents We're going to hire 10,000 additional Immigrations and Customs Enforcement officers. They actually, two years later, they've spent millions of dollars on hiring. And that's a historical problem. It's not just the Trump administration. Other yeah. administrations have had hiring problems uh, uh, on the border for border personnel. They actually have vacancies. They can't fill the, the mandated positions really? that they've got. So you might be hearing a lot about how we need more at the border, we need right. more at the border, yeah. but there are actually there are thousands of openings. These, they can't fill those jobs. These are
2: just people that, by the way, are they furloughed?
5: Yes, and that's also the ironic thing. We're in the middle of a, uh, what are we at, day 34, 34 I think? 34 34, in a shutdown yeah. over border security. Meanwhile, Customs and Border Protection, Border Patrol officers, immigration judges, and the Coast Guard, which obviously interdicts on the water, but also has been tasked to the border to help yeah, Border right. Patrol, None of them are getting paid and haven't been since the beginning. So, when you have the photo of Donald Trump saluting with the Border Patrol, uh, the Customs of Border Protection helicopter when he went to Texas, he's standing next to two guys. Those guys weren't getting paid.
2: Unbelievable. Um, (laughs) So, back to your story about the vacancies, is this because these jobs are just. I mean, it's too hot, or too, uh, and and the there's too much pressure, too much tension, or there's a bunch what? of
5: different reasons. Um, the, but particularly for border patrol, for example, they're often working in very remote areas. Yeah. They're some of the lowest-paid workers in the federal in the federal government. Uh, if you look at sort of rankings of federal agencies, their morale is one of the lowest. Um, and then also, there's a very high. They're considered to be one of the most susceptible of any federal personnel for corruption because of these morale issues, low pay, they're in the middle of nowhere uh, and then also, you know, uh, they're working on the border so there have been many circumstances in which cartels have essentially paid off Border Patrol agents to look the other way while something comes through but they also have an extremely strict hiring process. It's a 12-step process. Uh, They fail the polygraph at rates uh, higher than any other federal law enforcement Um, and so there there have been obstacles for a long time with border patrol hiring and particularly border patrol retention but last time they tried to loosen the hiring requirements sort of in the bush era uh, in order to uh, do a sort of hiring surge that wouldn't have even have been as big as the one that Trump is mandating uh, they had a lot of they had a huge spike in corruption issues, use of deadly use of force issues and other use of force issues. Mm. So people are very hesitant when we talk about a hiring surge for Border Patrol. You have to be really careful at the same time as there are all these things in it's Difficult.
2: You mentioned um, the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, they play a vital role in stopping drugs from coming into the country, right?
5: Absolutely. And then and also in, in migration, if you want to look at if what the what the shutdown is supposed to be over. I mean, I get a right. release from the Coast Guard every day talking about we've interdicted, you know, we've interdicted this many interdicted, excuse me, this many people, uh, you know, this many migrants, this many migrants on, on the sea. But, on the sea, coming but they in... stop both. You know, they stop drugs. They stop illegal immigration. They play a huge role in this uh, and are particularly impacted by the by the shutdown.
2: Uh, I, w- I wanted to mention that because I'm sure you saw Carol, Karen uh, Tumulty in the Washington Post yesterday had an excellent column about the Coast Guard not only under first, – first of all, not getting paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've got some 41,000, I think, Coast Guard members and 8,000 or mm-hmm. so employee, uh, civilians that mm-hmm. work with them. Uh, and they're uh, in large part operating with – and they're still working and not getting paid – only branch of the military that's not. They've got this very antiquated equipment. And so th- they, they had given um, Congressman Peter DeFazio from Oregon, mm-hmm. head of the Oversight Committee now, a list of the things that they need uh, and would like to really do a better job. Uh, it, it goes from new Coast Guard cutters to right. new helicopters to new mm-hmm. stations on the coast, and sent both coasts in Central America, on and on and on. Uh, a lot of uh, cybersecurity stuff as mm-hmm. well. And the total for everything that they say would enable them to do the perfect job, which Donald Trump wants them to do to stop the flow of drugs and people, Mm -hmm. total cost would be $2.7 billion, which is all of that, right, for basically a half of what Donald Trump is asking for the first installment of his wall. I think
5: that's why we see that even conservative critics are concerned that so much oxygen has been sucked up by the 5.7 billion for the wall yeah. that other things that they want for border security or to curb Im- or to curb Im- you know uh, illegal work. immigration yeah. other things that they want they're concerned that they're not going to get it because they've essentially fall- fallen victim to this red line over the 5.7 billion for the wall
2: By the way what would the wall cost
5: Definitely not 5.7 billion. That is no. For that's uh, one An extra 200, you know, an extra yeah. 200 miles. There have been estimates that's anywhere from 30 billion to 100 billion. I mean, if we look at, depends on how the wall would be designed. But it, engineers have suggested that essentially this is an infrastructure project that is unprecedented, and it would cost billions upon billions of dollars.
2: Yeah, because we keep hearing I think still this 25 billion dollars uh, or 25 30 uh, range it just seems to me it's going to be way more than that.
5: There's a there's a pretty there's a pretty broad range in terms of estimates that people have uh, have suggested for the wall, but it would be extremely extremely expensive. And we could see so far how expensive it's been. I mean, we're talking about 5.7 billion for you know, for yeah, 200 right. miles. Right. Um, and if you look at the money that's been spent in the past, it's been extremely expensive. And there have been concerns from the inspector general suggesting that that money has not been well accounted for, well used.
2: You know what I think would be fun? And I talked a little bit about this yesterday on uh, NPR's Here and Now. If you went, and maybe you've done this, if you went back and collected all the different ways Donald Trump has talked about his wall, all the different descriptions Right, remember it was going to be um, have solar panels on it. Mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I don't uh, know It was definitely going to be a big concrete wall.
5: Yep, big, beautiful, mm-hmm.
2: coast to coast, and then then this, lately the steel slats or mm-hmm. something. Uh, he, I, I've told the story before. He, he he was he met with a group of labor leaders, um, in the Oval Office and told them that they were stunned when he told them. Um, the people from California he said don't worry it's going to have a door in it so the people who pick the grapes can come in and pick the grapes in and then go back and the door right in the middle of the wall I mean the things he said about the wall you could fill an encyclopedia with things different ways he's described the wall right?
5: I think that's part of the trouble though is and part of the the impasse on the shutdown because what are we really what are we what are they really <laughs> fighting over it does right. actually matter what he believes the wall to be. I mean, is it a symbol? I mean, we have Lindsey Graham at one point saying, oh, the wall is just a symbol. And when we have Nancy Pelosi saying, well, the wall is immoral. Is she talking about the symbol that is the wall? Is she talking about the buildup of all of Trump's rhetoric against immigrants, sort of inflating fears uh, about the border being overrun? Are we talking about a symbol or are we talking about a physical structure? And if we are, then what does that physical structure look like? And how can you resolve the impasse if you don't know?
2: It's a, here's my take. It's a monument to Donald Trump. That's what it is. And most presidents would be happy being on Mount Rushmore. No, he wants <laughs> <laughs> he wants that horizontal Trump Tower all along the wall. So we will remember him always for the wall. Hey, Molly, it's great to see you. Thanks, Thanks so much for, for coming me. in. Uh, the L.A. Times, latimes.com. And now, more and more attention to the South Carolina primary uh, in 2020. Jamie Harrison's former state Democratic chair of California and now one of the officers, associate chair of the Democratic National Committee. He joins us next. Give us a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Here we go, wrapping up here on the Thursday, January 24. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is The Bill Press Show. We are live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, booming out to you all across this great land of ours on the radio and television and online. And brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, those great men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perone, and our proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for all of America's working families on our great uh, real estate—I'm uh, sorry—retail grocery chains across the country. Uh, check them out at UFCW.org. Uh, what fun to welcome to the studio. Uh, A good friend, former, uh, you know, I'm former Democratic chair of California, so I have great respect for Democratic chairs around the country. Former Democratic chair of South Carolina, Jamie Harrison, in studio with us. Mr. Chairman, it's good to see you. It's (laughs) good
1: seeing you, Mr. Chairman.
2: Now you are uh, associate chair of the DNC as well, right? A lot of fun. A lot of fun going into 2020 and and a lot on the table. So much to talk about, but let's start... With, um, and Peter is... Uh, you You're know. outnumbered, Bill. you got two South Carolinians uh, I know here.
4: With Peter yes, from uh, sir. Charleston
1: here. Yes, right? indeed. So, so he knows good shrimp and grits. Though.
4: Absolutely. You <laughs> know that for sure. Yes, sir. I have to say, I was down in Charleston uh, for New Year's with some friends. We were walking around Battery Park down there, and I ran into... America's finest mayor, Joseph P. Riley, was it down there walking uh, around Battery Park. He's no longer mayor of Charleston. Yeah, right. But you know he is the greatest mayor in America's history. He really is.
2: He was mayor for, what, 50 years? Or Something of, I, mean, I, it's, I mean, forever. Yeah, it's a, mayor time.
1: for life, I guess. Oh, okay. well,
2: that's Marion. I know Marion That's Marion Barry. I know his Marion There's, only, there's only one mayor for life, please. Okay. <laughs> so there's more and more attention. I, I hear more and more talk about uh, yeah, we got to put up with Iowa, New Hampshire. We'll never get rid of those it seems. But South Carolina, the primaries becoming taking on more and more I- importance. Yeah,
1: we're coming into our own.
2: Yeah, no, seriously. And and more you know, Martin Luther King Day. Tory yes. Booker and Bernie Sanders were both down there, right? I sat
1: right right next to both of them in the in the church pews. So there, there, there you go.
2: <laughs> this weekend, I believe Kamala Harris is going and to Elizabeth, be And Elizabeth
1: and Elizabeth Warren was there last night.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah right. So, uh, why
1: it's because, you know, South Carolina is it demographically looks like the Democratic Party, has a sizable African-American population, which we know is has been the heart uh, of the Democratic Party for for the past decade or so or, or in even and longer. Um, probably the most uh, dedicated demographic in terms of supported Democratic Party has been African-American women. And so in our primary, we'll probably have between 50 to 60% of the primary participants be African-American. Whoa, yeah. And and, and so uh, it has played in the 08 and the 16 race. It's been the rubber match. You know, Iowa and New Hampshire have been split decisions. We've had a little muddled decision in Nevada. And then they come to South Carolina. And the person who's won South Carolina ends up being the nominee. Mm-hmm. Um uh, And so I, I believe that that will be the case uh, this time around.
2: Right. Um, Does that give uh, Kamala Harris a, a leg up in South Carolina?
1: Well, yeah, I can tell you early buzz right now is Kamala and, and Corey. Uh, they, there's a lot of synergy. And, and, hmm. and you talk to one person, it's Kamala. You talk to another person, it's Corey. Uh, you, you hear talk to Vice President Biden, who has extensive ties there in South Carolina. Um, but in the end of the day, people are going to have to work for it. They can't mail it in. Uh, even if you are yeah. you know, uh, a great, articulate, prominent African-American candidate, you're going to really have to work in order to get that vote. Have you talked to Cory Booker? Is he getting in? I, I've talked to Corey. I've known Corey actually for almost 20 years so when I was undergraduate at Yale he was in law school and he actually oh, lived oh. in my dorm oh <laughs> um and so uh it, it you know it seems as if the the preparation is moving in that fashion I don't think he's fully made up his mind on whether or not he's doing it
2: he yeah he said he was close this weekend he, i think he was close, close to yeah. a decision but yeah. I, and, I just, he, and he said I just similar whether he had any inside it no he said there. similar
1: to me and uh, but i don't think he's Fully made up his mind.
2: We know that um, Senator Sanders, whom I supported in the mm-hmm. primary in 2016, um, supported Hillary, of course, in the general, big time. Um, one of the problems that he had was he was perceived as not um, having enough ties to or maybe enough understanding of the African-American community. So he was down there uh, on MLK Day. How yeah. was he received? And Very well. Yeah.
1: I, I actually did a, a panel, a town hall panel with Senator Sanders uh, uh at, for the NAACP right after he and, and Senator Booker spoke at the rally mm-hmm. uh, and he and I got a chance to chat <laughs> and uh, he was received very well and I could see the difference in the the 2016 Sanders and the 20 and you know now the approaching 2020 Sanders yeah, yeah. Um, because not only did he talk about economic inequality but he also made sure that he really pressed into the, the racial, uh, impacts and 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 the differences that uh, that race can have on economic in- inequality, which is not as the he was not as articulate about that. I think the first time around,
2: right? And I I was struck when I read his remarks uh, in in Charleston or Columbia mm-hmm. actually um, uh, this week uh, that he really echoed um, the uh, the message of uh, Dr. Martin Luther yes. King Jr. Yep. in Uh, who fought not just for racial equality but economic equality and tied the two together. And, of course, he was in Memphis for a strike of the um, um, sanitation workers. Yeah. Right. And 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 people forget that. that, that It was both.
1: That's exactly right. Uh, Dr. King was very, very big on on, uh, tackling racial inequalities and economic inequalities. And and, and I do think uh, Senator Sanders' remarks were well-received. Uh, and, and, and it's, that's what you want to see in a candidate that you evolve, you learn uh, and, and you do better. And, uh, you know, I, I was, there, there was a point in the, in that campaign where I was a little critical because I don't know if you remember when, uh, Tim Robbins, uh, I was the chair of the South Carolina democratic party at the time mm-hmm. and Tim Robbins made a comment that winning the South Carolina primary was like winning a, a, a race in Guam. It didn't matter. Oh whoa! And let me tell you, as <laughs> oh, chair of the South Carolina Democratic yeah, but, yeah. Party, I I did not, uh, and and the fact that the Sanders campaign didn't push back on that, uh, and, and actually some of them kind of embraced, like, oh well, you know, yeah. it's the South, and then dismissed that. I mean, you have to think about what that means. Um yeah. and, and but I, it, you know, Senator Sanders, I've had con- conversations since then. Yeah. And uh,
2: that, I, that's good to hear because even back in in uh, twenty sixteen, he had. Um, an important story to tell, which exactly never got right. told. I mean, he was arrested in the Civil Rights That's Movement. That's exactly right. He was here, at the, he was there at the Lincoln Memorial when Dr. King gave the I Have a Dream speech. He was very much part of that as a young man. He, he, and and nobody, nobody knew, knew that about story. That. Right. Yep. I should have mentioned at the very top here uh, that uh, Jamie Harrison has a new book out telling his story about his success in politics, and it's a great story to tell. It's called... Climbing the Hill, <laughs> uh, just out from uh, ten, 10 Speed, that's right, yeah, ten, 10 Speed, speed Press uh, in California. Uh, it is just out, right? Yeah,
1: I, I, it came out in the end of September 1st, October.
2: All right, there you go. Uh, climbing the Hill uh, with Jamie Harrison, how to build a career in politics and make a difference. A very important message for this day and age, of course, available uh, wherever you Buy books, uh, either at your <laughs> local independent bookstore, hopefully, or uh, online, or or whatever. So, we're we're gearing up into a 2020. How the hell is the
1: DNC going to handle? Oh God, 20 to 30 <laughs> candidates. Uh, listen, I I told somebody the other day the the uh, the sort of the political scientist, the the person who loves politics in me is so excited. I'm jubilant. The DNC uh, officer <laughs> in me is cringing. Uh, uh, that's a lot of people.
2: but yeah. to be you, fair to everybody, which I know is your goal. That's exactly
1: right. That is our goal. Um, and we've been working very, very hard now for almost two years on how we're going to do these debates and how do we do it in a way that is fair, not just for somebody who has name ID. If you come from New York or California, you may have this instant name ID in a lot of folks. But if you're you know, a Bullock from Montana or somebody... Mm-hmm. How do how do you, you can't just judge it on initial polling? Um, and so we're trying to work uh, together to figure out what is a fair way where we don't put our fingers on the scale. And we allow Democrats across the country to really hear all of the candidates and then ultimately make their determination on who should be the nominee.
2: Because you you're, you're right. I mean, a Pete Buttigieg, right? Yeah. Or a Tulsi Gabbard or um, some of these people, they may have a lot to offer.
1: That's exactly right.
2: Um, we don't know them as well. Uh, it, you know, a lot of people don't really know Kamala Harris that, yeah. that well. I mean, yeah. they have seen her in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, right? Yeah. Whereas a Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders start and Elizabeth Biden. Warren sort of start with exactly. instant. Right. Uh, exactly right. right. Uh, do you uh, – there is a school of thought, I'm sure that you heard that, that the, with all these good candidates – if Joe Biden jumps in, given his experience and the love that people have for Joe Biden, that it's all over. That that automatically he he just waltzes it.
1: I've heard that, but I think you know you know given this primary with such smart people and diverse people, I don't think anybody has a cakewalk. Um, uh, and I, I love Joe Biden. I'm uh, one of the biggest Joe Biden fans, but I I think. If I were him, or if I were on his staff and I was advising him, I would not say, "Mr. Vice President, you go into this thinking it's going to be a cakewalk to the nomination," because it's not. These these a lot of these young candidates are hungry. Uh, a lot uh, they're not going to treat anybody with kit gloves. Um, so for Vice President Biden or Bernie Sanders or for anybody, uh, just expect that you you know you roll up your sleeves and get ready for a fight because you know people think this is open an open nomination, uh, and it is an open nomination, and and you're going to, in the end of the day, you're going to have to work for it.
4: You know, I think there was a lot of uh, uh, misunderstanding by Democrats in 2016, because part of the primary is to address some of the problems that you have as a candidate, right? And I think that, like, you know, look, we're, we're Democrats here. I think that every candidate that's gotten into the race for 2020 has something that they need to answer for. They just have to answer for it, right? Whether it's, an outdated policy position or something that they might've gotten wrong in the past or something. They've got to answer for it. And that doesn't mean that the candidate is the worst candidate we've ever seen. It just means that they have to answer for it. Bernie Sanders lodged a lot of complaints about Hillary Clinton in 2016 and people acted like it was completely off limits. It's not. This is what a primary is for. You're supposed to talk about your problems, work through them, explain why it's not a problem for you anymore.
2: Yeah, and and I think um, you know, to me, the key word. I'm I'm just I'm just watching them all. Now, yeah, right. Yeah, I yeah. I'm, I'm not. I haven't picked a horse at all. Key word for me is winnability, man. I gotta say, <laughs> you, you, you make the case that you're the best one to beat Donald Trump. Then you you're you sold. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, I think my mom and you are in uh, full agreement. She. She just said, she said, I don't care. I just," She said, I don't want them to beat each other up. And in the end, they just need to beat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And, and I think our party needs to focus on that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked about the importance of the South Carolina primary. Uh, I do have to mention that the California primary... Will also yes. hold increased importance this exactly year. Exactly right. Because we were always the caboose on the train. Mm-hmm. Everything had already been decided. Then along comes California and didn't mean a damn thing. Uh, and we fought that and fought that. And finally, this year, I've been able to move the primary up to Super uh, Tuesday. Super Tuesday. So basically, a month after Iowa. Yeah. Which is going to change the equation. Which
1: three days after South Carolina. So South Carolina is going going to be on uh, uh, tentatively February 29th, and I think uh, Super Tuesday will be that March 2nd. Um, And so uh, listen, it means that the calculus for a candidate changes dramatically now, given that uh, I like to call the Super Tuesday Super on Steroids Tuesday, because In addition to California, you have Texas, you have Virginia, you have a number of southern states. I think Georgia's in the mix, Hmm. Uh, Tennessee. So a lot of delegates on that particular day, And my approach and the way I would advise the candidates is, don't go in thinking, well, I need to win these states. Because it's not about the number of states you win, it's about the number of delegates that you get.
2: Yeah. And so yeah.
1: Uh, if you're trying to tackle <laughs> behemoth like California, unless you have mega money, like a Bloomberg or something, or you know, you're Elizabeth Warren, who's raising tons of money online, uh, it's going to be hard to, you know, to pour all your resources or resources there. So take a, a, an approach where you figure out what the few congressional districts that you want in California, you focus on those congressional districts like a small state, and that's your goal. How many delegates would I get out of those congressional districts? And then at the end of the day, you want to be the person that when they tally up the delegates for a Super Tuesday, you're in the lead or you're in second place. Uh, that that has to be the strategy rather than, oh, God, I need to win this state and I need to win that state.
2: Right. Are you worried? I hear this uh, all the time from friends of mine. Of course, Democrats worry. I mean, they're always worried. Yeah, we are a worrying God, party. drives me crazy. Um, I, that Democrats are worried that the party's going to go too far to the left and lose the heartland and lose uh, you
1: know, the uh, the, the opportunity. Yeah. I, I, see, I, I don't think about the world in the sort of the left-right type thing. I think about genuineness. Uh, In the end of the day, if we have a candidate that is genuine, that really resonates with people, even because I've seen this, and and you sort of see this in in how our presidential elections have have panned out, that that folks that people can uh, relate to on just an emotional level uh, are the folks that end up winning. Uh, And so if we can pick a candidate that is genuine, that adheres to the policies and beliefs and values of our party, uh, in terms of climate, in terms of, of equal opportunity and, and uh, education and all healthcare, care, uh, I think we'll be all right. It, it, I, I'm not worried about, well, we're too far to the left. Or we're Because right. yeah. most, when most people go to vote, they are not in that voting booth like, well, I think that person's true. It is people vote with their heart and their gut. Most mm-hmm. people do. And, and it's about how they feel in it. Sometimes we don't vote where our heads. That's why we yep. always ask ourselves, well, why do these people vote against their own mm-hmm. own best interests? Interests live in the head. Values and, and, and your gut lives in your heart and your gut. And that's right. where most people vote.
2: Uh, a couple of South Carolinians I want to ask you about. Nikki Haley, is she going to run against Donald Trump? I don't think so.
1: Um, I think what she wants to do right now is make some money, uh, <laughs> uh, pay yeah. off a million dollars of debt that she has. Um but if there's an opportunity where Trump does not run, and I'm still not a, mm. I, I'm still a believer that there is a possibility that Donald Trump says, "I've made America great again already," and I'm not going <laughs> to run, because he doesn't want to lose. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the thing that he fears the most Good is point. losing. Yeah, and I, I have if that same thought. he sees that if his polling he, stays at thirty, the thirty-two and thirty-three.
2: I mean, you could see he could always say the economy is exactly right. stronger than it's ever been. The military is stronger than it's ever been. Our country is great. More all lies. Yeah. Our country is greater, more respected than it's ever been around the world. Uh, I've done my job. Mission accomplished. Done. Done. Down to Mar a Yes. I uh,
4: can absolutely see that happening.
2: Right. Um, another South Carolinian. What the hell is up with Lindsey Graham? I don't. And is anybody going to challenge
1: Lindsey Graham? Uh, listen, I don't know what Lindsey's been sniffing, but but uh, <laughs> 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 there, there's there's something wrong. Uh, listen, Bill. I am giving some serious consideration to running against Lindsey Graham, and whoa, and, and in the next uh, next week or two, uh, I'll probably make a final decision on on whether or not we throw our hat in the ring for that. You don't want to do it right now. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <buy> <laughs> you know, on, if man. you do these type of things, you need to be ready. You need to have the, the you know the website ready. Or you can start yeah, raising okay. money. Uh, uh, I'm not ready at that point, but we are really leaning into this, and so and
2: so. Uh, Well, I hope you do, and congratulations, and uh, then come back, and we'll we'll talk all about that. But, um, you know, somebody's got to challenge him, because I I just, I I can't believe the people of South Carolina can accept a man who, uh, uh, well, is all over the place, and now has become the greatest supporter (laughs) Donald Trump has in the United States Senate, whereas 6 months ago he was one of the biggest critics yeah, of Don- Trump exactly in 2016 right. you know you couldn't re- I couldn't repeat some of the things he it, said about that's, Donald that's Trump. That's right. How can you change but, that? Listen,
1: like, uh, George Will has his uh, op-ed out that basically called Lindsey Graham a political windsock
2: it, this morning in yes. the Washington Post. Read it. Go to Washington Post. Political windsock. He just destroys Lindsey Graham in that I mean op-ed.
1: really and, and, and some people said John McCain is turning in his grave to, to think this is this guy who is his friend but it's almost like he needs some anchor uh, uh yeah. some strong yes. anchor yes. in order to 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 hitch himself to uh and it's it's really it's sort of shameful and a bit embarrassing uh there was an article recently that he said he just likes being relevant mm. and it's a, that's a really telling it telling is. thing
2: yeah, but you know, it seems to me if you want to be relevant, you have to stand for something.
1: Exactly right.
2: You can't be all there's, over the place. There's no
1: core there. There's really no core. And right. so uh, I think South Carolina deserves someone who will re- represent them and not just who's looking to be on TV, who's looking to to, to have a, the microphone in front of them, uh, but can really work on the issues that are important. Right now in, in Denmark, South Carolina, we have people... Who uh, who are drinking water uh, that is browning some of the leaves out on on, on the sidewalk? I uh, and, and it's ridiculous. And instead of Lindsey Graham talking about that, yeah. talking about that the EPA is closed, and so what am I going to do for my constituents who who are now forced to drink this type of water and use this type of water in their foods and brushing their teeth and all? Uh, he's out saying, well, I support Donald Trump and the wall because it's, last time I, I, I looked, South Carolina on the map isn't close to the border. So I, you know that that mm-hmm. <laughs> that wall and security is not as important as whether or not we are going to drill off of the coast of Charleston or whether or not the uh, why our schools are falling apart Um hospitals, rural hospitals, closing right and left in in the state, those are the most important issues to South Carolina right now, not some mythical wall that's supposed to hold back these torts of people coming.
2: How long has it been since South Carolina had a Democratic senator?
1: Uh, Since Fritz Hollings. And and Lindsey is in the Hollings seat. And so now I think this is at least 16 years or so. so it's 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 kind of sad. So uh, time to get it back, oh, and not not
2: back. impossible that South Carolina could. We not, think of it as the reddest one of the reddest of the but red it's, states.
1: It's not. Uh, it, it's a conservative state, which is very different than a Republican state, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, you have a large swath of independents in the state who eight times out of ten will vote Republican, but if you give them a good reason f- to vote for a Democrat and a good candidate, then they will. Hence. Joe Cunningham winning in the seat that Mark Sanford held. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that seat demographically is very similar to the state overall. And so, uh, you know, if you can appeal and be smart, and right now, Lindsey, with his performance in the Kavanaugh uh, hearings and and his past performance, just uh, closely tying himself to Donald Trump, a lot of independents are souring on Lindsey Graham when they have been uh, his anchor in terms of keeping him uh here in Washington
2: well one advantage you'll have is that uh, you know you may not see too much of him on the campaign trail because he'll be busy playing golf with Donald
1: Trump no oh, that's don't. exactly right
2: yeah that's <laughs>
1: exactly right he, he's he's something he the other day the NAACP were in front of the Judiciary Committee and he said oh well, yeah. did, did you see that? Why did I have so a twenty-two percent <laughs> rating with, with the NAACP? He made
2: the whole hearing about, about him. him and yes. why
1: he didn't have a better
2: rating from the NAACP. Yes. Right.
1: Well, well, and I basically tweeted in response. Well, maybe you shouldn't campaign with someone woman who said that she wants to be at the front row of a lynching. I mean, you represent a state with thirty percent African Americans. Maybe you should stop voting for judges who want to suppress the black vote. Uh, or maybe you should stand up when bigots uh, basically say things that are, that are racist. Mm-hmm. Those type of things will help with rating. Uh, right. How can people <laughs> How can people get in touch with you? Follow you and follow keep... me on Twitter at Harrison Jamie, uh, which is on Twitter. Okay. At, at
2: Harrison Jamie. J A I M E. Yeah, right? like Jaime. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and the book again is Climbing the Hill. Uh, associate chair of the DNC. Former. Uh, state chair of Democratic chair of South Carolina and who knows maybe Senate candidate from South Carolina hope so thanks Jamie thanks for coming in have a great Thursday folks Peter's here tomorrow
0: so don't miss it this is the Bill Press Show